0: Only the second hour of our show, which features listeners' questions, is heard live from 5 to 6 p.m. every Saturday on WJR. However, both hours of the show are available each week on this podcast and are streamed to our affiliates across the state of Michigan. We're also proud to be part of Detroit's newest and fastest-growing podcast network, PodcastDetroit.com. And now, here are your hosts with this week's Internet Advisor. The co-host and producer of the program, and we get a great one lined up for you today. Can you imagine such a thing as an unbiased political application? Well, Mike Wendland has three of them. That's right, PC Mike with us in the first hour to talk about that. We'll also get a full review of Apple TV in the first hour. Second hour, well, we're going to be doing some back in history at 30 years of Microsoft Operating Systems. Welcome to the Internet Advisor and to uh, the Week of Thanksgiving. Some of you will be hearing this, as matter of fact, probably on the weekend of Thanksgiving, but uh, the rest of you hope you have a happy turkey day and that uh, you get stuffed after the turkey does. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard it put that way before. Yes, of course. Gary Baker in studio here. Gary, good to have you with us. It's
2: great to be here. People that watch the uh, Michigan-Penn State game saw a whiteout where we're seeing a whiteout today
0: <laughs> here in Michigan. Uh, that is exactly right, too. And with us, fortunately, not hampered by any whiteouts, Mr. Shane Hamlin.
3: No, I'll drive right through it. Hey, hey, hey now. Going going to have,
0: Ed, Ed Rodell was going to be here in studio with us, but the whiteout happened to put a little bit of ice on the road. He's a long way to come. So. He's a long way to come. So we're going to have him in in the second hour, though. He's going to join yeah. us for a kind of a look back in history at 30 years of Microsoft operating systems. I'm,
2: he's, I'm glad he's joining us because neither one of us could go back that no far, right? i certainly <laughs> couldn't not, not because we weren't alive then it's just we can't remember <laughs> that <from laughs> back there, the
0: <laughs> that's right hey i saw an interesting follow-up you know the terrible terrible thing that happened in paris uh with yeah. uh, yeah. the terrorist attacks etc it's been kind of interesting to see follow-ups about um technology and and how it was involved facebook right uh do, you know putting out that application of letting people know that you know we're here i'm here uh, and then catching all sorts of grief because they hadn't done it earlier. Mm. And, as you said, we had to begin sometime. I was
2: talking to somebody from the Netherlands this morning, <coughs> and uh, some of the things that they're doing there in Rotterdam to uh, just because—and they're two hours away from Brussels, right? So, but they're still—it's—it's uh, it's affecting a lot of the big cities over in Europe, uh, along, uh, m- many places on the continent.
0: And there really are no more borders there
4: in right. Europe at all. No, no.
0: you just—you don't know. You're- yeah, it's just Europe, and you and, and what we think of going from one country to another, in our fair state of Michigan, it's like you can going drive to a different state. Yeah, you can drive 13, 16 hours, and from tip to tip in in, this, in the state here. Yeah. and think of where that would get you in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
2: Well, we have a cabin up in the Keweenaw, twelve hours right. away, right. and when you think about it, it's only seven and a half. Or eight hours. I better not say seven and a half. People think I'll be speeding to <laughs> Washington D.C., but uh, at only nine to uh, to New York City from here. When you think about it, and and twelve hours, to, and you're still in the state of Michigan, big state. But
0: you think of that Europe is much smaller I'm than smaller. so you could go from Paris to. Amsterdam. I don't know how long it would take you to get there, but it well, it's
2: the train or, or the traffic, right? So, yeah, that's true. You know, the train is a lot easier when, um, in many many routes than yeah, the, it, than the traffic. But it's a it's a um, a couple hours, uh, yeah. you know. Or give or take, so yeah,
0: yeah. So the distance is a very short, oh. so that that is significant. I it was kind of interesting. One of the things I saw coming out of the stories was that um, a man credit his credited his Samsung Galaxy S6 Edge with saving his life. Really? How? He did, was at a soccer stadium uh, um, when uh, the a bomb exploded right next to him, apparently, or you know, close to him, mm-hmm. and he got well, shrapnel. Outside. He got That's shrapnel. Outside. Right. He was outside. Of, He got shrapnel in his, I think, leg and someplace else. But uh, a vital part of his body was protected because the Samsung took the brunt. (laughs) And he showed a picture online of the big dent and destroyed the thing completely. But it was, um, you know, it saved him a bit in his pocket.
2: And, you know, they found the mastermind because of a cell phone.
0: Oh, really? I didn't know that.
2: So they had a video of... uh, after the fact of and they went back and looked and they saw that one of the bombers the bomber that did detonate himself outside the stadium um threw a cell phone was talking a cell phone threw it away in a trash can and then went on in and and so they went back to that trash can found the cell phone oh my. and on there there was a text message that said we're going in oh wow and they obviously know where he was sending it yeah they started tracking that phone they figured out where he was and that's how they they ended up circling and and you know big shootout a couple, of right. days, mm-hmm. later, exactly. couple right. days later a couple nights later right
3: it's amazing how fast there's things different. move because of technology right. i mean before it would have been months we've been searching mm-hmm. and, and just looking for clues right now it's so instant you know we well, com- found a
0: phone and the combination of like like you said they saw there are there's Closed circuit television, CCTV, everywhere, all over Europe. I mean, it's kind of scary in
2: in a lot of big cities. Yes,
0: exactly, exactly. But what's kind of spooky then is to think of all that video that's out there as well that they can tie things together with, and then to track it down through the cell phone is fascinating.
2: And then when you figure out that it won't be that much (laughs) longer before they can start doing it almost in real time using artificial intelligence and and, you know and big data uh, sniffing because you know we can't do it yet, Mm -hmm. uh, but it can't be that many years away before we can start looking for profiles of activity that that's happening and so, whatnot, in, and then have the have a machine tell us in real time that something bad's going to happen.
3: I think what is it? CBS has a show, person of person of interest. It's, yeah, uh, exactly. Based off of that whole, I know that whole thing. I know. It's insane.
0: Yeah. And there was as a matter of fact, there was an interesting article too that uh, some new whistleblowers have come up about the uh, NSA and saying that they had a program that was ready to go before nine eleven that was like that person of interest mm-hmm. kind of thing that it would have identified these people who were the people who attacked us in 9-11 by their relationships. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was voted down by the higher-ups at NSA because it didn't bring enough money in from Congress. Mm-hmm. And they shut it down for a much more expensive program. And so well, it's kind of interesting I, how it's coming out now. Anyway, it's just yeah, kind of interesting. I,
2: I always question, you know, somebody that thinks there's a conspiracy theory because of malintent somewhere. Mm. might have happened, of course. We don't know yeah. and probably never know, but I always question What that.
0: struck me as fascinating, though, was that there was a program out there before 9-11 that had that ability well, and to look at those relationships.
2: And it would have been illegal for them to use it.
0: Uh, apparently, they had it worked out, so it wasn't. Uh, this is a, just okay, an article maybe. that I read today. Yep. That, they uh, would have
2: had to get a wiretap uh, permit. Exactly. Right? Apparently,
0: know. they could do it without or breaking the law. Yep. Be interesting to follow that up. Hey, coming up in just a moment, we're going to have an old friend of ours, Mike Wendland, with us. And we'll be be talking about, um, speaking of politics, three politically unbiased applications to help you make your way through the rhetoric. Well, when I first saw the headline, three applications for non-biased political commentary, I thought, hold it that's an oxymoron. (laughs) That's that's a contradiction in terms. And I just had to find out more about these applications. Of course, the person who was recommending them is somebody I've trusted, we've trusted for a long time to come up with really good information about technology. And that is Mike Wendland, otherwise known as PC Mike. Mike, good to have you with us here on the Internet Advisor. Hello, guys.
2: Hey. I you're getting snow back there, huh? Oh, uh, you're not here, eh? Where are you? Oh gosh, it's.
5: Uh, I think I should probably turn on the air conditioning. Oh, oh yeah,
2: uh, okay, little... all right. Never mind. I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, my my daughter is now in L.A. and she sent me the same text. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So uh, i like Sunbird think... out here talking. Yeah. Um, You you know, it was interesting if anybody is going to come up with something (laughs) unusual, unique, uh, it's going to be you. How did you find these apps? Uh,
6: You know, the question is exactly as you guys faced at the beginning. You know, there really is no such thing. However, (laughs) however, you know, aggregation has made it really possible for us to fine-tune a lot of the information we want. And by its very nature, most uh, most sites that aggregate news, uh, you know, are not human. It's a computer. So, uh, <laughs> right, in, right in that fact, it, it will it will take away some of the bias. Although they're still accessing, you know, regular uh, uh, mainstream media, and they're getting it from as wacko as MSNBC or as wacko as Fox. It's hard to get in between. But these are three apps that I just that we picked out that uh, I do a pretty good job. Uh, for one, finding and, and reporting on subjects that you know you you want to know a whole lot about, and also giving you a list of lots of different stories mm-hmm. about those subjects, and not from just the traditional mainstream media. So that's why we we call them non-biased. <laughs> but, yeah, and so it's not biased as as anything that can, can possibly
2: be. You know what is it is like out there these days.
0: Yeah, yeah. We, ha- we have to trust the machines because people can't be trusted. <laughs> well, and the, and, the way you, and the way we
2: do it and the way we've done it for a long time, even in aggregation, was, you know, you can't find anything on bias. So you find one on the right and you find one on the left and hopefully yep. somebody can sift through it. The, the problem, Mike, that um, there's been a number of studies that they say that if you believe in one, in what, if you have one persuasion of belief, you're not going to listen to the other. Well, th- that's true of a
6: lot of people, and we all have a,
4: yeah.
6: a perception that we bring to it. And, you know, it is so, and now, thanks to the machines,
4: mm-hmm. we're able
6: to access such a broad stroke of, of information. But it's kind of like, these apps are kind of like somebody on Facebook that unfriends or unfollows everybody who posts something they don't disagree with. And so you end <laughs> up getting exposed to just what you, you know, uh, validating yeah, what you, right, what, what right, you exactly. believe in. Um, these apps, are, I think, are, are fairly good. And uh, you, I'm sure you guys will put up a link to some of them. Oh, no, we'll put up, we'll, I was yeah. going to put
0: up a link to all three of them. Um, yeah. well Sure.
6: And, and one, of them, one of them is called U.S. Politics News. I kind of like that because it will, uh, it will actually... Uh, I'll let you kind of give you a, a quick note on um uh, which is oh no I'm sorry it's politics political mix political mix um I, I think that's how you, they they yes, put it yes political
0: mix is the name of that yeah political mix
6: I was never sure when I recorded this whether it was political mix or political mix, so I just called it <laughs> politomix, mix, and I kind of slurred it so nobody would know what I <laughs> you know, that's the trick of radio, right? But, but that one lets you kind of color code, out. it gives you kind of a color code which sort of lets you know whether it's conservative, liberal, in between, and, mm-hmm. and you know, it's only as subjective as uh, the people who made that list is, but it's, uh, it gives you a quick read and you don't have to read something and say this is so biased because it disagrees with what i'm saying that i can't stand it
0: yeah yeah all right well b- let, let's just quickly kind of go through all through you mentioned politomix okay that was one of them and by the way these are all ios right um yeah they're ios the or
6: android no i think uh the only one that is iOS only is inside 2016.
0: Okay, okay.
6: And the other Polonomics and U.S. Politics News are uh, iOS and Android, and I think yeah, they're even one of them. Uh, I think they're both coming up with Windows versions as well. So.
0: Oh, good. Okay. So
6: you should get a... solve, which should solve the four people?
0: Who <laughs> in the uh, go, oh, oh, <laughs> we have a Windows user here, a Windows Hold phone user now. here. <laughs> so we don't know who the other three are. But <laughs> <laughs>
7: five. They are booming.
2: Oh. <laughs> oh. My <laughs> wife is the
0: other one, so be <laughs> careful.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh! Got yeah, we got two of them right here. So,
0: yeah. we, uh, one of the other ones is inside. or oh, you mentioned we mentioned it. 2000 inside 2016, Politomics mix and U.S. politics news. News. No, we, th- we go ahead.
6: I like the last one because it has so many different sites, and uh, mm. I mean, and and you can then uh, even set it up to. so still so say you've had it with Trump. And you don't want to know anything more about Trump, you can actually block it so you get no more feeds about Trump. Or suppose it's Hillary and you want I gotta be fair here, and you wanna block her, you can do the same thing there. Can we so do I can both? make it you can make it by us. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> and I think can... all these apps are free, by the way.
0: Oh, that's good. Okay. Um, and, th- and this is this is great that, that you can go to some place where you don't have to worry about the bias in the way that they call the news or gather the news, uh, being slanted one way or very much one way or the other, or at least you know the, some of the slants. Am I going to guess that that's the case, too?
6: Yeah, yeah, I think it's there. Uh, and, you know, if there's one skill that we need to teach everybody these days, it is to be able to, to filter out the bias and accept you know, to read stuff from a a wide uh, group of people and group group of sources and sort of develop an internal bias detector that allow us to, mm. to really get an idea of what's happening so but, so um, you're
2: saying that it just because it's on the internet it's not true or it might not be true <laughs> oh, Is that what I would never say that <laughs> <laughs> <Wait
0: a minute. laughs> that's how we make our living <laughs> hold it now <laughs>
6: yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like what what I like about some of these aggregation apps like these and there's a bunch more out there these were the three that that sort of worked about the political thing and you actually both of them all I think all of them have versions where you can, if you want to aggregate news about tech or business or sports, you can also do that. Oh. These are their political ones. Um, but, you know, that's the thing that is so neat about aggregation, and the Drudge Report is a great example of it. I mean, it's just so much material yeah. that the average person would never come into contact with, and there are at least one list, you get. you get a whole bunch of different stories from widely divergent sources that let you sort of discover by serendipity what that you probably would have missed if you just, you yeah. know, reading the local news site. You brought or, up, the, uh, Mike, run.
0: Mike Wendland, by the way, is our guest here, my, PC Mike. You brought up the Drudge Report. That was one of the first ones that did that kind of thing, wasn't it, Mike, way
5: back yeah, then? Yeah, it was actually, yeah, he started right with Donika Lewinsky. That was, uh, the yeah. started
6: that started Oh job. my
0: goodness, that's right. The that's first, way The back first when. big
5: one. Yeah.
6: Yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I find him perhaps one of, uh, a must read several times a day, actually, because uh, he he does aggregate stuff that you know you will soon see in the rest of the media. He's got a pretty good track record and we must have a pretty good staff of pulling things out that that really help us to see um, stories that are sort of out of the mainstream spotlight. Yeah, and, what? Uh, it's something like... like today. I'm just looking right now on it, and he's it, got a picture of somebody rushing off snow off their car, and the headline is "Global Warming Summit."
4: <laughs> you know,
6: everybody else is going to say, well, the global warming, climate change is a satisfied fact. Everybody knows <laughs> it, you know, and the climate is getting warmer. And I mean, I love the way he does this. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, yeah, you know, I so, them all mad at him.
0: Mike, right? it sounds like uh, one of the real skills, as you said, is going to be is being able to find the aggregators, the, the good aggregators that, that bring together uh, the information that we need, whatever maybe it could be in tech or whatever it may be. And these three aggregators here that you've mentioned inside 2016 Politomix and U.S. politics news. We're going to be putting links on our our homepage in the uh, shared in the uh, notes section, so that you folks can link to that as well and can make your decisions. Mike, thanks once again for coming through with some great sites and some great insight as well.
6: Well, I'm, I'm glad the glad
3: the segment's over because I really
0: got to get out of the sun, guys. Oh, it's pretty oh, pretty
3: warm down. Oh, have <laughs> a great day. <laughs> <be fun>. Thanks. <laughs> Take care, thank
0: Mike. Mike. <laughs> 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 Bye, Mr. Mike and uh, PC Mike. Glad to have him on, even if he is rubbing it in our face. Hey, Jack, <laughs> back in just a moment to talk about Apple TV and get the definitive review. Welcome to the Internet Advisor. Thank you very much for joining us here. Gary Baker and uh, Shane Hamlin is also with us here in studio. Shane, good to have you along. Always good to be here. Hey, uh, do either one of you have an Apple TV? I do not. No. Oh, oh I have now.
3: I have Roku. I have no. Roku, which well, is now. I have podcast
0: because I have an Apple TV, mm-hmm. and uh, I think I think I have the um, third generation. It was the one before this? This one is coming up right yeah. now. And somebody reach over to push a button there oh. for Kevin Shane, so we make sure he gets on. Have got the button there? There we go. Okay. Well, we have somebody in studio with us, hopefully, who will help tip the balance a little bit. And that is Kevin Shane is with us. Kevin is the CEO of a company called ACD, providing connectivity. Am I right?
8: Yeah, that's correct. Broadband, fiber, those kinds of things. Right.
0: And uh, out of the Lansing area, am I right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. But you're also, I understand, a developer for Apple TV. Yeah. Yep. So we want to get an insider's view, and this is what we're looking for, is kind of the insider's view on Apple TV. Um, I want to just go back and quote something and get your reaction first. Here to kick this off. Um, this is a quote from Steve Jobs' biography. Jobs was quoted in a conversation with Walter Isaacson as saying, I'd like to create an integrated television set. It would be seamlessly synced with all of your devices and with the cloud. It will have the simplest user interface you could imagine. I finally cracked it. And that was the headline, I think, that uh, was was caught was, I finally cracked it. What's your thoughts, Kevin? Do you well, think he finally cracked it with Apple TV?
8: Well, a few years after his death, yeah, they, I think they finally got there. Yeah, it's just uh, deeply integrated with, uh, with uh, Siri now, and it's a very interesting box. I mean, they, they've added a whole lot of memory to it compared to the previous editions. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of capabilities added to it, games, and you can download apps directly to the uh, uh, the box, and uh, so it's it's quite a leap forward. It's now like a like having an iPhone connected to your uh, to your TV. So it's
2: finally there because I think that was what held me back before was that it was fairly limited in a number of different ways. Oh um, yeah. Yep. So tell us a little bit about some of the features. Well, the uh
8: you know like typical a- Apple fashion there's uh, some things that are missing which uh you know kind of are uh, interesting but you know some of the features are just kind of really great the natural language type of communication, you know, you can say things like uh show me a uh you know apocalypse now. Uh, uh, or or look up specific episodes by just naming those episodes with people in it. So it'll it'll do voice search across all of the uh, uh, providers that you have on the uh, on the box. So if you have Netflix, it'll search that. It'll oh. search HBO simultaneously, and that that really makes the search really valuable.
2: So so, which, so if I were to uh, say, um, show me something from Sandra Bullock that I haven't seen before, could that to it uh, Yeah, I uh, don't know. If, I don't. I haven't tried <laughs> that. I haven't seen before. I don't know if it uh, works. All that you've seen, but uh, it'll certainly. Okay, show so it's you. not quite there yet. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Leave your, your mind. mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I get a little older, they could show me almost anything. I'm not sure I would have seen. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah. I <saw>. yeah. <laughs> Everything's new then, eh?
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the nice thing about getting older. oh It's yeah. all new again.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can, a tree runs and think it's new.
0: <laughs> all right, so. uh the, the, some of the applications it has. Then the uh, I, the difference I understand right now with Apple is like you mentioned Roku, uh, mm-hmm. right? Shane, yeah. you got Roku box. Yes, yeah. it has a set of applications on it. Right. right. The the difference seems to be that Apple TV they're actually allowing you to add new applications to it, yeah. and so you ha- you don't come with you may have a certain set to start with. But then that could expand. Like for instance, you're a developer.
8: Oh, it just goes. Uh, it goes straight into the App Store, an App Store that's specific for uh, for the Web uh, TV operating system that they have. Uh, so the apps are pretty portable between the different, uh, uh, you know, like the iPad app that you may have developed. You can pretty easily port that over to uh, the uh, Apple TV operating system. Uh, of course, there's screen resolution differences that you got to mm-hmm. take into account, but. Uh, uh, but it's very very similar, and and uh, you know, so if you buy an app one time on your uh, uh, iPad, and mm-hmm. if they make a uh, and in the and the developer allows it, if they make a version for the Apple TV, you just buy the app once and it go on your phone, your iPad, and, and oh, your uh, wow. Apple TV. Oh wow! Wow. Yep. So they're they're gearing it towards being able to make a bunch of extra, you know, a few dollars here and there for apps. I mean, there's, sure, there's games and things like that uh, available right now for it. Uh, so it's really quite interesting. And, uh, you know, the, the, they compared to, like, the Roku or the Amazon, they put a whole lot more memory into the box. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Flash, uh, just kind of like how the iPhone is, you can buy a... Uh, uh 32 gig or a 64 gig mm-hmm. version. The price is higher, of course, for the bigger sure. one. Uh, but uh, you know, I think the remote is also something that's really interesting as well. It's kind of like a, yes. a trackpad on a com- on a computer, right? Mm-hmm. And so you use your thumb to slide around this trackpad in order to switch apps. And it's really, you know, it's it's the best remote out there that I've seen. And uh, I
0: know, heard that sp- that was the big difference. Now, because some of them, uh, I think it is Amazon. And uh, there's a, does, a, does your Roku, um, Shane, have a, can you talk to it? And, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You can talk to yeah. it. So there's, there's yep. all, you can speak to a lot of them, but the difference is that this one has that uh, touch pad on it.
8: Right, it's a it's a touchpad remote, and uh, you know it also is a uh, it's got a lithium battery in it, so you plug it in with your lightning cord uh, to charge it up. You don't have to you know swap out batteries. Um, you know the box is a little bit more expensive than the Roku box. One thing that I thought was really interesting is, uh, you know the the Amazon uh, Fire TV as well as the newest Roku Four box uh, are now support 4K, but this is still a 1080 uh, 720p. Uh, you know regular HD. Sure. Okay. Uh, so I also have an, I also have a Roku box and Amazon Fire. You know, and, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, uh, you, so you're gonna have to wait a little while. They're also missing some ports too on this uh, this guy. So uh, you don't have a optical out. So if you really want to listen to really good audio across mm. uh, iTunes and maybe put it into a uh, Sonus player or your stereo, you're gonna have to try to you know uh, okay uh, uh, put next it together ver- next with, version. Yeah, next yeah. version perhaps. <laughs> You so know. what
0: what is the advantage then? I mean, other than the remote and some of the search capabilities, there are some other things too. Like you can say, uh, "What did he say?" Right.
8: And it'll back up and rewind and, uh, you know, step you back 10, 15, 20 seconds, uh, you know. What, and tell what you what. That? Yeah. yeah, what was
0: that? Is that all it Yeah. <laughs> you know, I do that with my wife all the time. hey yeah. eh? What did you say? Yeah, I need that.
8: <laughs> yeah, and it's not it's not as if the other people, uh, the other uh, um, boxes don't do some of that, but mm-hmm. this just does it better. You know, Apple is really good at fit and finish and polish mm-hmm. on their platforms, and, and so if you're kind of in the Apple sphere, well, you know, uh, it's pretty hard okay. not to get the same thing, right? right. Uh, you know.
0: Well, beyond that, though, Kevin Shane, by the way, is our guest here. He is a developer uh, for this platform as well as being the uh, the boss at a company that provides connectivity. Um, I mean, it's kind of interesting. I just uh, sidetrack, I guess, here. As somebody who is involved in providing connectivity, it's kind of interesting because your gateway now is going to be providing an awful lot of fun for people at home through this kind of a device, isn't it?
8: Oh, no doubt. And, you know, it's kind of like uh, you can really start to see the end of you know, kind of traditional cable TV where you have 200 channels, you're just going to kind of pick what you want to watch now. You really right? think we're,
0: we're close to that?
8: Oh, I am. I think we're getting closer and closer every day. You know? well, why? Well, really because I think, uh, you know... I talk to uh, people who own apartments, and they have apartment-provided internet and apartment-provided TV. Yeah, and the younger yeah. kids, like, for example, I'm from uh, MSU. I know we're, we're in U of M territory with a couple <laughs> other people in the room. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my, my wife that's right. Like a,
3: my uh, family's <laughs> green and white. That's okay. I mean, the station carries the MSU. Yeah, so, right. So. That's right. <laughs> so. Good territory to be in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well,
8: it, it, uh, you know, the, the kids these days, when they even move into these apartment buildings, and they have uh, high-speed internet and these. Apartments provided over fiber, uh, a lot of them, even though they're provided free dish TV, you know, they yeah, don't even yeah. bother to pick up the box. No. I, last numbers I heard with some of these apartment uh, broadband providers is only about 35% of the kids ever bother to pick up the uh, direct TV or dish box.
0: No. That comes kidding. free.
8: That comes free. <laughs> right. And they, they just, you know, they don't even think about it. Why, right? why, yeah, wow. why would they do
2: that? Right? <laughs> well, so well LTE is faster on their phone, right? <laughs> why would they ever. You will know, pick up a slow box.
8: Right, yeah. And I think they're just so used to the YouTube, you know, it's the YouTube generation. I think the, the younger kids are just really into yeah. that, you know.
2: My my son doesn't watch a lot of TV, but he watches YouTube. He watches all sorts of things mm-hmm. on his phone and on his iPad. And
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's interesting then. that So there's a generational separation that's happening there too, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so the advantage, if I'm hearing you correctly then, Kevin, is that um, the Apple TV gives you the ability to... Uh, have more freedom in terms of the what you want to connect to. Oh yeah, and uh, how much of that you want to connect.
8: Right. So, like uh, Netflix, HBO, all of those types of uh, channels. You're starting to see CBS has their uh, channel library on there, Hulu, other services like that. Mm. Interesting. Kind of uh, what's interesting about it is Amazon and Apple TV are kind of you know uh kind of in a wrangling match right now yeah a- amazon decided to stop selling apple yes uh, i apple noticed tv <laughs> <laughs> you know so uh that's all right yeah. that's all
0: right no yeah. that's okay the wars are getting it's kind it of helps a, us right yeah it and it's a us. typical process that happens in in our particular economic situation where the competition will eventually weed out the weaker right and the stronger ones will stay there hey can we so, come back in just a second uh Kevin is uh, Kevin Shane is our guest in studio here. He has kind of a unique perspective on, on this review of Apple TV. And well, I kind of want to come back to talk to you about, as a developer of, of applications, of what you see happening, what the future is coming there. And we'll be back to do more of that coming up in just a minute as we continue here on The Internet Advisor. <laughs> Welcome back to The Internet Advisor. By the way, Eric, congratulations on... Your recent uh, wedding. I just saw the the pictures from the ceremony. It was cast of thousands. <laughs> and for finding your ring today in oh the Oh my, yeah. what a story mm-hmm. that was. <laughs> Glad you found it. Uh, <laughs> welcome back to the Internet Advisor. We're talking about Apple TV here with somebody who has a rather unique perspective on that. Kevin Shane is our guest. Uh, Kevin is the CEO of ACD, which is a company based in Lansing. And you're up there. Uh, you're... Involved also in providing people with broadband connections in particular, right? Yeah, yes, okay. We are. Businesses as well as uh, uh, residential as well. Residential as well. Mm-hmm. That's a Lansing area and where else?
8: Oh, we, uh, w- well, we have uh, broadband networks in a bunch of cities, mostly outside of Metro Detroit, like Jackson, Grand Rapids. Okay, Do you get over on the east,
2: on the west side of the state very much. Oh, yeah, Because mm-hmm. okay. okay. we have a lot of affiliates. Yeah, a number of our of
0: affiliates are in Lansing and Grand Rapids and those areas. So, oh, okay, want to yeah. make them aware the ACD is the name of the. Uh, company that you're involved with there now we've been talking about Apple TV the box that, that this new one this has come out it's got this great um, uh, remote. Um I kind of wonder how many remotes I can possibly end up with because I've got a Roku remote, I got a re- my old Apple remote, um and a, a remote that came with uh something else. In other words, I got 3 or 4 of them sitting in this bowl next to me. And I'm constantly foraging through there for the crop proper one. you think we're ever going to come to the place where we got one remote that <laughs> serves them all?
8: Oh, I wish. I I doubt it though. <laughs> you know, there's just always new
2: things getting added on each of these yeah. things, yeah.
0: Speaking of, um, go ahead, Gary
2: No, I was just going to ask you as a developer developer now of apps. Um, You you had to go through a quiet period, right? They made you uh, make sure that you didn't talk a little bit about the program and about the box before it came out. Tell us about that. How did that happen?
8: Right. So, uh, you know, a little bit before uh, uh, everybody else, we got a copy of the box, and uh, we were able to play around with it. We're, We're really interested in the platform, because uh, those those boxes use broadband connections, and that's very, uh, you know, heavy use on our network. So we wanted to see, you know, kind of what were the signaling mechanisms. We also kind of prioritize traffic flow across our, our broadband networks. Mm. So, yeah, we got them a, about a month and a half, two months ahead of time. Yep.
0: When you say you prioritize, mm-hmm. A traffic tell me what you mean by that
8: well so what we want to see is how much uh, traffic flow is coming across like these 4k boxes boy those are real. you know 15 10 15 megabits and that's pretty heavy-duty use uh, but the still, still the Apple boxes that, the, that are using you know, 1080, 720p are only about 5 meg or so, 6 meg, 7 meg, depending on how much action is going on and what mm. you're seeing. Uh, but there's tags that we can put onto the traffic as we see it coming into our network to make sure it flows quickly. Uh, and there's oh, not a lot of packet yeah. drops uh, b- between our edge of the broadband networks, and so uh, although you know you can't really deprioritize traffic, you can certainly make sure that your flow is working well across uh, across. So this network. is still well, net
0: neutrality, but it's more con- more efficient. Right, well, more,
2: more well, <laughs> you know. So this is the real problem yeah. with net neutrality, yeah. right? Which is if my email shows up just a half a second later. Than it otherwise would. I have. N- I don't care at all. Yeah. But if I have to keep rebuffering on a movie I'm trying to watch, that's a big deal, and it's right. a big deal for all of us. Right. And we need to understand quality of service, and when it's appropriate to use it and when it's not, and not between providers of different types of quality of service or um, streaming media. But med- streaming media needs to be prioritized over. Store and serve media like, or store and serve applications like email. Right? Isn't right. that right, Kevin?
8: Yeah. You know, there's a lot of misunderstanding on uh, net neutrality and prioritization. It's not that you're cramming down all other traffic. What's really important to these applications, whether it's voice over the internet or it's, uh, 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 you know, streaming video, is you need to make sure that you sequence the traffic in a particular order. Right And so that's what the prioritization is doing it's not actually cutting out somebody else's bandwidth, but it's making sure that it it occurs on a consistent basis that's right. the key to it
0: as you see things changing like you're talking about um, looking at the the um multi uh, dwellings around let's say universities and the kids mm-hmm. you know are are not accepting the free dish boxes but are going for their own let's say apple tv or something like that where they're pulling in a lot of bandwidth yeah for a lot of different stuff that must for i mean what does that kind of say to you as you look ahead you're 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 in charge of those pipes that are bringing all that information (laughs) in what do you see happening in the future then
8: boy more and more uh back-end investment to make sure those pipes are really big the the internet was kind of built on an over subscription model right where uh, nowadays with without streaming video there's not that much going on if you're just browsing the web the tra- the web page comes down or maybe you download an update for your apple uh computer or your microsoft computer mm-hmm. and uh Uh, But nowadays, when you have streaming video, well, heck, people leave their TV on for hours. They may walk away and just, you know, keep it running in the background. And that's a continuous stream of traffic. So we're we're providers like us and and other people out there are just overbuilding their core backbones to make sure they've got enough processor capability and and
0: pipes. Getting huge pipes in there. Right. May not be necessary now, but you certainly can see that in the future. Shane, I'm curious, you as a gamer, yeah. is gaming something you could see doing on something like an Apple TV, or do you you use um...
3: not hardcore gaming? I mean, if it's you know something that my wife would probably use, gaming, uh, the 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 you know the bejeweled and the simple, some of the car driving games, some of the hardcore gaming, I don't I don't think so. It's too much uh, processing power for some of those first person shooters and uh, MMOs would take. You know that box would eat it alive. Yeah, or that well, would eat that box alive.
8: No doubt. And you know, uh, you should see some of these uh, these these hardcore gamers. They've got four video cards in their uh, computer. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, virtual supercomputers. Yeah, they man. lug around to their
3: friends' house to you know <laughs> game with them. You know? I mean, you're playing. You play and a, a my gaming system is probably about four, almost four grand mm-hmm. in, mm. in gaming equipment. So, <laughs> you know, but if you wanted to just you know casual stuff and just sit down and play a racing game or a puzzle game,
0: sure. And is that the kind of things that are being developed oh, now yeah, the Apple yeah. TV? Oh, there's, yeah,
8: there's a bunch of them on there already. You can download them and the, you know, I, I got addicted to one for about an hour uh, <laughs> yesterday. And, <laughs> Just an hour is not addicted. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
2: uh,
0: what kind of things are you developing now as a developer? What kind of apps are you developing? Uh,
8: mostly we're looking at a uh, network. We were, we're working on... Things to flow control traffic, so that's that. You know, it's kind of like the nuts and bolts and stuff uh. like that. We're also working on apps that we have on our Android phones, and uh, we also are working on a on an Apple phone app. Uh, you know, for some of our remote employees, they can tap into uh, and see kind of a network control panel, Mm -hmm. and we have that already on our Android phone, so we can see what's going on with the uh, ACD network from remote, right? We're also providing those apps and uh, making versions available which will go to IT administrators, so if they are a customer of ours, they can kind of quickly scan through and see, are all the things I buy from ACD, all the connections I get to my various offices, Mm -hmm. are those all operable and up and running and uh if not i can submit a ticket on the android app we haven't yet ported that over to apple yet uh you know there's uh but but that's kind of the things we're looking at doing in so the future.
2: so offline uh well okay maybe right now i'll ask you a little bit beca- about this phenomenon i've noticed that when i support different companies uh, you know go in and and uh work with them it seems like our execs all have uh, you know an iphone right yep. by apple all of my guys, deep technical guys, none of them do. <laughs> right. They're all on Android, right? Yeah. Because it's so much more flexible. It's so much... It, you, you can do so much more with them.
8: Yeah, and a lot of it's just... it's. Is a that little, true? I yeah. mean, you're, you're... Oh, absolutely, yeah. Okay. I think it's a... It's, it's The main thing is they kind of left it a little bit open and, uh, you know, kept the costs uh, real mm. low. Uh, so I think that that's what drove it.
0: Kevin, we, we're running out of time here. It's been fascinating talking with you, kind of looking behind the scenes as what's going on in Apple TV and the development that's going on behind it as well. Thanks so much for being with us.
8: You're welcome. Thanks for having me. We're going to take a
0: pause, service. folks, and when we come back after the uh, top of the hour, we're going to be uh, meeting with Mr. Mike Brennan and finding out some of the headlines that are going to be coming up this week and, MI Tech News, and then after that, we're going to be talking with the two gentlemen in studio here about where they were during 30 years of Microsoft Windows development. This uh, November the 20th, Microsoft celebrated 30 years of Microsoft Windows, and we'll also be finding out uh, who you trust for your security. All that coming up in the second hour of the Internet Advisor. Hope you'll stick around for that. Thanks again to Eric Dortch, who's been our engineer here, and we'll stick around for the second hour as well of The Internet Advisor. You're listening to a podcast of The Internet Advisor Show. To see the show notes for this program, visit our homepage, InternetAdvisor.net. You'll discover past podcasts, our free toolkit with software to clean up your computer and keep it running strong, and many other resources. You'll also find links to MITechnews.com, our co-sponsored weekly tech and entrepreneur newsletter, edited by Mike Brennan. If you have a question for our hosts, just click the contact button on the homepage and send us an email with the details. And don't forget to look for us on Facebook and Twitter and at Detroit's newest podcast network, podcastdetroit.com. Now let's get back to the second hour of the Internet Advisor.
1: Welcome to the Internet Advisor, your place for answers to your computer questions since 1998, with your co-hosts Gary Baker and Foster Brown and their team of tech experts. The door is always open at internetadvisor.net, on Facebook and through Twitter. But right now it's time to get you in touch with your helpful hosts on this week's edition of Internet Advisor.
0: Hi, this is Foster Brown, the co-host and producer of the program. Thank you so much for joining us for our number two of the Internet Advisor. And then we're going to be celebrating an anniversary of this hour. It's the 30th anniversary of Windows. And our folks, Shane Hamlin and Gary Baker in studio and Ed Rudell, are going to be talking about where they were and giving us some of their thoughts about the versions of Windows that they experienced as we look at that history. 30 years of Windows coming up. Well, at that time of the weekend, when it's time for us to check in with Mr. Mike Brennan, the editor of M.I. Tech News, and also now the co-host of... M-Squared TechCast. Mike, welcome to the show. And well, a very snowy Saturday, but uh, yeah, we're, we're doing good. So That's not too bad. I guess uh, we shouldn't complain too much because we've had a wonderful fall so far, and so uh, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Let's take a look at some of the headlines at MI Tech News. First one up here that catches my eye is that there's a possibility of a super data center out in Grand Rapids. Yeah, a very huge facility. It's the old uh,
5: steel case Pyramid Building. Anybody in West Michigan would be familiar with it. It's it's right by M6, and it looks like a pyramid, quite frankly. $5 billion data center. That's what they're looking at. But there's some provisions here. The legislature has to pass a couple hundred million dollars in tax breaks, that sort of thing. Uh, And the West Michigan delegation is very energized. The governor's behind this. Everyone's behind it, but they've got to move the legislation. And we're also in competition with New York State. So it's not a done deal by any matter. But, But if it does come... They say it's going to create a 1,000 new jobs, uh, you know, a huge boom to the economy. It'll become an incubator for Internet companies, all sorts of good stuff.
0: Hey, by the way, I saw that Michigan is uh, doing pretty well of recouping some of those jobs that have been lost uh, during the Depression, or recession, I should say.
5: Uh, No, it was a depression, I'll tell you. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, we lost almost a million jobs during the first decade of this century. But that's all turned around, uh, not completely, but it's come up, come back a lot. Between what we already have done and what the U of M economists think we will do, by the end of 2017, we'll have about two-thirds of those million jobs back.
0: Wow. And a lot of that's come back in the tech sector, hasn't it?
5: Yeah, tech sector is a big one. A lot of other sectors as well. But uh, tech certainly is, is leading the way. I mean, Michigan is uh, capitalizing on the fact we have so many engineers and so much great technology here. A lot of it's focused on mobile and wireless and autos and things Mm -hmm. like that. But uh, this is all good news. And of course, the governor, uh, I heard him uh, just the other day say he was real happy with his numbers. And, uh, how could he not be happy, right?
0: So. <laughs> hey, maybe one final thing here about T-Mobile. The uh, Uncarrier uh, has expanded its networks throughout the state of Michigan.
5: Yeah, LTE service, 700 megahertz low-band spectrum. I know that sounds like a lot of gobbledygook but essentially it makes everything run a lot faster. Uh, and uh, it's it's all over the state, Ann Arbor, Flint, Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo, mm-hmm. points up north. Uh, so if you have uh, T-Mobile service, because I know when I go north, uh, I get real spotty service once I get above uh, Big Rapids and places like that. And supposedly this this is going to take care of a lot of those issues, and and so you'll have good service and fast service, and, of course, smartphones, everyone's uses. it. Them as their handheld computer, and you know, they're watching video on them and everything sure, else. So, sure. that's
0: something really powerful. Hey, quickly before we let you go, you have an m Squared TechCast coming up on Monday, and going to be a date for launching a new feature.
5: Yeah, we're going to start adding regular monthly contributors. And the first group to go in is Richard Steenan, who's been on your show many times. Oh, yeah, maybe. And Dan Lorman, who's the former state chief information security officer now in private practice. They're going to team up to do two segments, actually. So there'll be two 13-minute segments every month. They're going to be looking at whatever the hot topics are in cybersecurity. And That'll be on the podcast Detroit. Yeah. So it's live there, but then most people listen to it as an MP3 uh, on right. demand. Right. So it's, it's available 24-7. It takes us a couple of days, as you know, since you helped me produce those. takes us a couple of days to get those online. Uh, but then once they're online, you can listen to them at your convenience
0: and they're excellent. Mike, thanks so much. By the way, folks, uh, this information we've been talking about today is kind of just a little sampling of the information that you'll get through a subscription to MITech News and you can simply go to mitechnews.com and by the way, it's absolutely free. Put your email address in there and you're on your way to getting a subscription to it. It'll appear in your uh email box on Fridays. And if you're interested, there's a whole lot of podcasting that's available to you that will come also in another edition that's sent to you on Wednesdays. So there's all sorts of goodies, all free, and it's all available through MITechnews.com, which is your source of information about technology and entrepreneurship in the state of Michigan. Mike, have yourself a great Saturday. Thanks, to You too. Good to hear from Mr. Mike Brennan. We've got a great show lined up in just a few minutes. We're going to be gathering together our renowned scholars in studio. We're talking about Mr. Gary Baker, who has been around. He was here just before the internet began. (laughs) We often tease him about that. Being from the Ann Arbor area and involved in the IT and technology many, many years ago. He was there. It's kind of a very interesting perspective on these 30 years of Windows we're going to be talking about. And also with us in studio, Shane Hamlin. Ed Rudell is with us, but he's with us via Skype. Uh, He tried his very best to get down to the studio to be with us, but the snowy conditions led to Very icy roads coming in from northern Oakland County. So he turned around, but he's a real trooper. And thanks to another Microsoft uh, feature called Skype, he is going to be with us to talk about his perspective on these 30 years of Windows. Think of that. 30 years of the Windows operating system. System that's on millions of computers around the world. Maybe perhaps in the last 30 years, it has been on billions of computers. Not the only operating system out there now, but certainly one that has changed the world of computing forever. Really made it possible for many of us. Coming back to talk about that in just a moment on this second hour of the Internet Advisor. And once again, thank you very much to Mr. Eric Dortch, who's behind the scenes here, uh, behind the glasses we say, helping us with our program and engineering it, keeping us running. Gary Baker in studio. And Shane Hamlin hey. as well, and through the miracle of telephone because <laughs> of the weather. Ed Rudell is with us as well, only uh, not quite in person as he usually is. How you doing, Eddie? I'm um, doing Foster. Did you, d- hey Ed? You know, it's
2: uh, it's hard to believe, but I we're talking about you know history and whatnot. And Foster was saying the miracle of the telephone. I think he's in the <laughs> wrong century.
7: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm actually using my PC and using Microsoft Skype. There uh, we go. There he's you using go. Skype. So, so, so the miracle see? of Skype. See? Miracle and I of was,
2: Skype. And I was on Skype uh, earlier today with a friend of mine in the Netherlands. So oh, there you go. You know. So uh, and it's really easy and really cheap.
0: See, Shane, it, it, people are using Windows products. Yeah, <laughs> thank God for Skype, right? <laughs> Absolutely, that's where I do all my interviews yeah, that's as a mic- well, Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Prime but and there. we're we're particularly yep. glad that you're with us here on Skype because of um, this uh, today's weather, which has been the first snowfall. We're uh, pre-recording this, of course, on the um, beginning of Thanksgiving week. Some of you will be hearing this on the day after Thanksgiving, or a couple of days after Thanksgiving. Um, But tell us how many inches of snow you have out there north of um, the, uh, well, north of... North of M-59. North of M-59. uh, Yep,
7: uh, north of Pontiac, so uh, Ortonville, at least eight inches on the ground. Um, So I've changed the oil in the snowblower. That's all (laughs) set. Started (laughs) it up this morning. We're going good. But the roads were just hazardous. I don't think the the snow crews were quite prepared for this in northern uh, Oakland County. And, uh, you know, and the salt trucks had to be loaded and, you know, the drivers had to be trained, you know, because <laughs> the uh, roads were solid ice when I got up. Oh, you know, dear.
0: Well, I can tell you, in our area, um, I live in Royal Oaks, it'll be southern Oakland County. We just have wet roads. And uh, wet sidewalks. It's not gotten icy yet, but uh, we have to watch out for it because temperatures will be dropping this evening. Um, I just got the uh, the text
2: messages from Ed with all of the snow, vid- the uh, photos of the snow, and it looks like you were warmed twice by that fireplace. Once <laughs> chopping that wood,
7: and uh, <laughs> and once burning it. Uh, yeah, that's right. A couple weeks ago, I was out in the woods with some friends, to, um, chainsawing and chopping. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> it was nice.
0: And now you get to reap the benefits of that by throwing another log on the fire, right?
7: Absolutely.
0: All right. Well, from the comfort of his home, he's going to be involved in this conversation. Here's what I want to do. Um, November the 20th, 1985, the first version of Windows was launched. Where were you and were you using that first um, edition of Windows? We'll We'll start with you, Ed since you're warm and cozy at home?
7: <laughs> no, I don't think I was using Windows. I was probably still on my Commodore 64 doing gaming and programming. Um, it had a Motorola chipset, not an Intel. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I got my first PC with an Intel chipset until 86. And uh, and I had to build that out of scrap parts from EDS at the time. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> um, you know, just to hobble together components myself you know a motherboard here video you know uh 500 or 64 megabyte of memory with uh you know the what was it the ati six pack pluses or eight what was it shane what were they called
0: six pack pluses yeah.
7: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah so that okay so you weren't you you didn't have hands on now shane did you have hands on that first is? uh no i think actually
3: I'm, i think i'm younger i think i'm thinking probably younger than everybody here <laughs> um I was, what was I, I was a a sophomore, freshman in high school, so I was with my, I had my Tandy and my Commodore, playing Elevator Madness and all my fun games,
2: (laughs) Uh, you know. I started a company in uh, 1980 called Century Systems, along with uh, two other guys, both engineers at Ford, and uh, we had um, eight Commodores, um, Mm -hmm. 64s, and then... uh, a couple others that we p- kind of were personal machines we brought in. And uh, we've got uh, one of the first 50 8086s mm-hmm. uh, from IBM. This was their very first PC, entry into the PC market in 1980. And uh, because we were a developer, uh-huh. uh, we got one of the first 50 that came wow. into the state. And Then they, you know, as, as production ramped up, we got a couple more. But uh, that, it was uh, amazing just the difference going from a Commodore 64 to... You know, an, I, DOS, yeah. an IBM MS-DOS machine,
0: mm-hmm. right? What was the big difference in, Gary, the first time mm-hmm. that you used... Uh, well, well M- MS-DOS would have been... That's right. And that's what we used. Okay, I got and
2: I, we n- I don't think... We we downloaded Windows 1.0 mm-hmm. and played with it, but I don't think we ever used it. Oh. Okay. Um, it really wasn't ready. I The first thing we really used was Windows 3. 3.1, actually. 3.1. Well, it's, it's kind
0: of interesting because they said that when uh, uh, this chronicle here that in 1985 with Windows 1.0 came out, um, it was rudimentary. Mm -hmm. It was also late, and it arrived about a year and a half after it had originally been supposed to ship. Right. Um, But it planted a flag in the computing landscape that would endure for at least three decades. Yeah, Uh, but I think, you know,
2: the 16 people that knew about it mm -hmm. at that time probably (laughs) uh, have forgotten by then. It really wasn't very well used at all. Well, Uh it's kind of
0: interesting. Maybe Windows 3 came out. Maybe that's why it was supported for the next 16 years.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I mean. And you're right. I mean, not until Windows 3 and NT came out did right. it make any, difference. The yeah, yeah. To, to make any difference to the, to the rest of the world. We
2: were using MS-DOS, and, yeah. you know, w- we thought that was great at the time. Okay. I can't imagine why we did now, no, but ex- we thought explain, it was. Explain <laughs> to
0: me, because I'm completely lost. You were using MS-DOS, but it wasn't Microsoft.
2: It wasn't Windows. It, it was not Windows.
7: Yeah. Right. It was command line based.
3: Cause, cause we right. Are,
7: and we, and that what most of the people were doing back then is they created little their own little menus if you wanted to launch... Lotus 123 press 1 yep. if you wanted to load, load something else you press 2 you know and that's where most of us learned how to or, or learned the Microsoft DOS language and DOS was just basically a command language to launch other programs yep. from a um, disk drive. That's really all it is. Okay. DOS stands for Disk Operating System, and it was uh, a set of rudimentary commands that lets you manipulate and launch programs from the disk environment.
3: Yeah, okay. I mean, it was very managed directories, those kind of things. That's all it was for. I mean, you weren't doing any programming with it. It right. was just, and then okay. all the Windows came along, and all Windows did would put a graphical interface over the top of DOS, you know, once, it, once we were uh, running all those. Yeah, okay. DOS kind of ran, executed all those. Now, right. when
0: did the GUI come in, the graphical unif- uh, user interface? This is 1988, Windows 3 slash 386, as the version 2.1 came in. Well, 1 yeah. had
3: uh, had, a, had a graphical interface. Kind of. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it looked like a calculator. Kind of. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: Not like
7: we think yeah, it and, would, and, yeah. and if I remember correctly, there was something called, wasn't it DOS shell, which was right,
2: like a file manager? Yeah. yeah. There were a lot of, um, you know, and it was really interesting, but, um, you know, there were a lot of um, add-ons, uh, programs that you could use that would start to emulate some of the what we think of today as those early uh gui interfaces right graphical (laughs) user interfaces gui okay um so so i have a a trivia another trivia question okay um we called them they weren't called pcs at the time what were they called when they first came out the 8086 the 8086 and that genre of computers
7: expensive
2: <laughs> well, they were expensive yes they were <laughs> Commodore came out with the very first luggable um, we think of it luggable today but that, that was the first portable machine it was 28 pounds <laughs> right <laughs> but you could carry it it looked like a Singer sewing machine oh know, yeah okay okay you recall but they called them micros because there, there were there were the mainframe then there were mini machines uh-huh. you know mini servers and, and but the micros and that's what they were called they weren't called personal computers or PCs no kidding. um and the other trivia question is where was the very first relational database for micros
0: uh, developed where was it developed so
2: this is going to be really this is going to be really easy cuz you know I'm from Ann Arbor. Oh, okay, so. University of Michigan has got to be. No, well, oh, a well. guy that was that spun out of there was uh, Malcolm Cohen and it was Condor Computers, Condor Computing at the time. Oh, and done. then Ashton Tate with DB2 was second and that was what everybody thinks of as the first, but All it was right. Condor.
0: Well, after the break we're going to jump to the next version. Of, I guess the next most significant one was 1993. When Windows 3.11 or Windows for Workgroups showed up. That was and kind of the real one. That's the real one. We're talking about where they were and what they were doing, Mr. Edward Gary Baker, and Shane <laughs> In case you just joined us, uh, we are strolling down memory lane with Microsoft. Uh, November the 20th, 1985, was when Microsoft launched its first Windows. It was pretty rudimentary at that particular time. Uh, It was Windows 1.0, and uh, it certainly kept on developing after that. They weren't daunted, even though they didn't have the kind of, uh, I think, universal acceptance that began later on, and that would be almost 10 years later. In 1993, Windows 3.11 showed up. And uh, with me are Gary Baker, Shane Hamlin in Studio here, and Ed Rudell on the phone with us. Guys, uh, why was it that, that, that Windows... Got the kind of acceptance that it did in 1993 with Windows 3.1, 3.11. What, when, what was the trick? It finally worked.
2: <laughs> right? And the rest of us were using MS-DOS. We were using a Microsoft product. Um, and there were all sorts of uh, third-party applications that, uh, that did a pretty good job. Windows was... Uh, you know, was a program was a, an operating system that was supposed to come out and replace MS DOS, but it didn't for a long time mm. for most of us, uh, right? There were all, there were all, just like today, there are companies and people that are on, you know, even XP still, unfortunately. But then, <laughs> you know, but but Windows Seven, Windows Eight, and Windows Ten. Right? No, they
0: mentioned a the competitor was a Quarterdeck's Desk View. They mentioned here was a was one of the competitors to the early Windows right. at that time. And you're saying the other one, Eddie. How about you? you
7: Mostly for business, I think.
0: Oh, wasn't okay.
7: Yeah, I mean, the big difference with Windows 3.11 is that uh, it allowed you to f- do file sharing between and set up work groups between the PCs. And if right. you remember right, Microsoft did not actually provide a version of TCP IP or Winsock with Windows 3.1 right. and, oh, yeah, that's and right. or yeah. nor with Windows 3.11. I believe we had to use some, a, a free version out on the Internet, and and I'm forgetting what it was called. I'm thinking it was called Kermit or something mm-hmm. like
3: that. Yeah, and let's and this is all... <laughs> This is all the beginning of um, workplace uh, network Doom competitions in, in the workplace. I mean, b- being able to do this was 311. Uh, well, and hey now, there was a legitimate reason to run Doom, and that was to test memory chips. <laughs> You're right. Oh, You're yes, doom? of course. It's <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, right. I, I remember <laughs> our guys
2: telling me that. I didn't believe it then either.
0: <laughs> uh, the, the fellow who was wrote the article that I've taken some of this says, uh, um, he says, I'm pretty sure I still have the original screwdriver that came with Windows for Workgroups 3.11 that tool was included to help buyers install the network card also included in the package mm-hmm. highlighting the signature feature of the version the tiny uh, numbering increment to this version belies its changes which included support for 32-bit disk and file access mm. and also drumroll 32-bit networking support it was the first version to support TCP/IP networking just in time for the dawn of the commercial Internet. Why, what was the dawn of the commercial Internet he's referring to there?
2: Well, it would be uh, when NSFNet, which um, when the military uh, decided that they were going to develop their own and give this to the National Science Foundation, NSF, ah. they named it um, NSFNet. and But they didn't know how to manage a network like this, so they contracted with Merit in Ann Arbor, who partnered with IBM and MCI at the time. So Merritt, with those two partners, managed NSFNet. And that went from 85 to, you know, 94, 95, really, the beginning of 95. And and then NSFNet basically became open to the, as a commercial internet. Now, you know, our company started before that. We were a commercial company. You know, we were told you weren't supposed to be on that. Uh, You had to have a... An on-ramp, so you had to use uh, at the time PSI or UUNET or one of the commercial providers mm-hmm. that connected to NSFNet. Uh, but that was how the so the commercial internet really kind of had a, low, a slow start. Probably 94 But this would have been kind time of what, frame well, 90, by ninety five,
3: full blown.
0: We would call the birth of the internet for for the us as consumers, guys. Is that would that be fair to say? Well, it's not.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, for the real super high tech geeky guys, uh, yeah. we've had it for a while. Yeah, right. been around for a while, right. and the so, and all those things.
2: So, TCP/IP was was um, developed by Vince Cerf and Bob Kahn in '73, right? Okay, that's for for the folks so who that's are mis- what, that for, was the that they were the founders. I know everybody thinks Al Gore founded the <laughs> internet, but <laughs> they were they were the basically. It was TCP/IP was the Transfer Control Protocol Internet Protocol that was the The protocol of the internet, the computers this, to talk to each other, but
3: none of this makes sense. It does go goes nowhere until the household woman, the the, the females get involved, and that comes. And you think I'm kidding? Because us us guys would have used it anyway. We would have done it. We've been doing it and, and using bulletin boards. It would have kind of stayed in it. But as soon as the lady at home got on online and was able to create an avatar on CompuQuest. You know, and those kind of things, and, and 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 shop, and talk to their friends, and gossip, and do all that fun stuff <laughs> that we do now—social media
0: through Facebook. It's got Facebook, yeah.
3: AOL, those kind of things. It would have so never really. That's what made it blow up at home. That became the home a users.
0: That was the social. Key was, was it was that was a
2: social piece, but it, I think the, you know, most of us would think the internet was, you know, with the really the dawn of the commercial internet was, you know, before that. Well,
7: um, I mean, I, don't think I, social- I disagree. I mean, for businesses, yes, it was a form of communication between colleges and businesses. But, I mean, Windows for Work Groups 311, what that allowed people to do inexpensively, which is coax cables and yeah. network cards, yeah. is establish network sharing.
2: Between well, and I would agree with you, Ed, but I wouldn't agree necessarily that, that it didn't take off until, you know, that... that Somebody used it at home, right? I'm not sure that. Well, that but yeah. AOL. I
3: mean, AOL and CompuServe and those kind of those kind of those were
2: bulletin boards. They they didn't run. Uh, but th- but they there wasn't even off. a gateway uh, from AOL. Well, to I, I will have to say the, that the true internet. Now you're talking about online activity. That's different. But if you're talking about the internet, I, maybe I'm being. But
3: see, we're talking. We're yeah, specific. See, until, yeah. until they came out with the graphical. CompuServe and the graphical
2: right. yep. AOL, yep. which was before they had graphics on. GCP
3: well, they had, yeah, but that's what we're talking. About. The bulletin boards and that; yep. those were things that we were using. Mm-hmm. Men in business were, and women too, as well. But the geek guys were using that for a while. You know, you keep, you keep, you keep uh, looking at when I say women, but it was true, in the in the, in the work environment at that time. We were we were the ones, the engineers, and the, and, and and using the, the bulletin boards. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. everyone's so worried about what they say nowadays, <laughs>
0: but it, it's true. You know what's interesting? We seem to be having, on there was online activity yes, right. on one hand. On the other hand, you have kind of the what we know now as Internet. So online, people were sharing information, and this is the kind Correct. of geek world you were talking yes. about. Am I right, Ed, that that's kind of the geek world that was out there, existed beforehand? Yeah, it
7: was very rudimentary, yes,
0: and it was your portal to get to the Internet, it uh, was like a
7: stepping stone or a gateway to the Internet.
0: Yeah. Well, what would you think was the one key thing that made the Internet work? Now, you're saying the social involved The social part of it, That yeah. was key. Was it like when Netscape... It's
7: CompuServe and AOL is, yeah. is what brought it to the consumer.
0: Okay, right. and okay. So yeah. And okay.
7: became a common household name at that point where it was on everyone's tongues. Uh, you know, Gary's absolutely right in the functionality that uh, it was being used far... Many years before the standard right. consumers were using it, but w- w- when it became a household name and people could, you know, hook up their telephone and 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 learned how to turn off their 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 call waiting so they wouldn't get disconnected off the internet when that's you know, right, the, I remember that. Yeah, people would call in. That's when it became, you know, a household name. The internet. It It really wasn't. Well, there. and and it really was the web,
2: right? When people right. they're using gopher sites and. Uh, using Archie and Ways and Veronica search engines mm-hmm. right, to to find their directories to find things, um, that was all Gopher. That was on the internet, but it wasn't until the web, and really till we had a gro- uh, graphical uh, web, that right. it started to take off. That's
7: that's when I and then this is when when Shane's point of view comes into place because when you get the consumer and the housewives and the family members and and people in business that are. In, can to now touch it then that's when the explosion came in innovation and graphical interfaces you know mm-hmm. making it simpler because they don't want to know what happens
0: in the back end they don't want to do they just want to be able to click on right stuff and exactly make it happen. i don't want to know how it works i just want to know that it works would bc Would 1996 then when windows 95 arrives would that be like a, a key year kind of a watershed for the internet as well, we know it
2: now well we started our internet company the first part of <clears throat> Of ninety okay. four, right? okay, so I kind of think of that as being. Now we were the first internet service provider in Michigan for business. Okay, uh, there was only one other internet provider at all, um, and that was a very very small one. You had to live in Ann Arbor or make a phone a long distance phone call in to Ann Arbor. Um, but it, um, well, so I think of that as kind of the birth of of the commercial internet uh-huh. here in Michigan.
0: Well, Windows ninety five at least it. it Microsoft got the whole advertising thing going. Um, it, it was released in August of 1995. That's Windows 95. And they got the Rolling Stones theme song, Start Me Up, and a party that was hosted by Jay Leno. <laughs> it was a marketing bonanza. We're going to move quickly through the rest of the versions of Windows. We're celebrating this 30th anniversary of Windows. Kind of a march down memory lane. Thank you very much for uh, being with us as we've been kind of wrangling and discussing the history of Windows. Microsoft Windows celebrated its 30th anniversary. We've been talking about the different versions. Shane Hamlin in studio here, Gary Baker. And Eddie Rudell is uh, by the fire out out at his home enjoying just being home. Right, Ed? Absolutely. Hot chocolate, man. And and, uh, with us by the uh, miracle of Skype. So many things have happened in the uh, process of the last 30 years. <laughs>
3: we're sitting here talking, at break, we're talking about, uh, no, this one had the first message board. No, 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 this one. It, it, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's talking to us on Skype, you know?
0: Yeah, it is it's fascinating. Insane. Well, there's a number of things. We're going to kind of move quickly now because consumers began to get involved in this thing. But there was, a in 1996, there was Windows NT, which was supposed to be the serious choice for business. It was the first to add Windows 95 shell, complete with a start menu. Robust NT architecture, but it took a massive amount of RAM 32 megabytes <laughs> 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 just to what, run the normal desktop
2: program. What a screamer!
0: Oh, was that about the time that Bill Gates said we'll never need more than how much was it? Uh, Ed, you remember that quote that 64k, 64. yeah, yeah, 64k. No one will ever oh. need more than 64K. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's anything
7: more than 10 megabyte hard drive, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Then I guess uh, the one name I begin to recognize here as a user was 1999. This was shortly after we started the program, you that's and right. I, Gary. Yep. And I was being the First part of 98. Well, right? actually,
2: we were working on it in 97.
0: Yep. But. We began uh, Windows 98 second edition came, and that's because the first edition was a disaster. <laughs> Bill Gates managed to put it to a blue screen of death by plugging in a USB device. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, on the demo, right? Right, exactly. Less than a year later, they came out with uh, the Windows 98, which I remember as being a, a pretty good edition. But that was followed by something called Windows Me, which, <laughs> as I remember, Gary, was just a disaster. That kept, oh. that
2: kept our show in business. I right? did. We were had to call for <laughs> all sorts of reasons. It seemed like every other um, version that Microsoft put out You're right. was just, you know. Yeah. Yep, and that was a ringer. I think that's why they skipped nine. They said, no more, we don't need to do that. <laughs> we just skipped, skipped that, that one. Bad.
3: And it had such a bad memory leak in
2: it. Oh, yeah. oh. oh my God. It was. And and Vista was almost as bad.
0: Yeah, yeah well, before that, though, something that is... And now, Eddie, I think you joined us about this time. 2004, Windows XP Service Pack 2 showed up. Is that ever, Eddie, about the time you showed up? Uh showed up, at, yeah, about 2003, 2004, yeah. Yeah, so it was about that time. And uh, it was this, um, the service pack was a significant part of that, service pack 2. And I remember this, that that really cured a lot of the ills. As a matter of fact, it had a code name, was called Springboard, and it was supposed to come out as its, it could have come out as its own operating system. But they decided to call it service pack 2. Uh, and they made it free because they wanted everybody to be able to get it. And it, it, it is, it's it's been so successful that we have many of our listeners who are still on it on older machines and I dealt with do- the
3: computer today with with XP. Did you? Yeah.
0: It's like grim death, Ed. They don't want to let go of it. No, I mean once you get something working, you don't want to give it up. That's right. Exactly. Well, Windows Vista came along again, opposite you know version, and it was oh my dear. The best accomplishment it had was that it laid the ground for groundwork. <laughs> really, it was so bad. Everybody was just ready to make the next leap. And the next leap was really the winner for them. And that was 2009 when Windows 7 came out. That's right. And yep. Windows 7, um, it was basically kind of Vista 2nd Edition in many ways but this one they decided to give its own name oh to. i'm
2: not sure it was vista second edition i think well, it was it, there were so many significant changes yeah, There
0: were tremendously and, and
2: it worked it was a, it's a great operating system it still is right a lot of businesses run seven
0: one of the key design goals in fact was that any driver or app written for windows vista would work perfectly on windows 7 and then Stephen steven sanofsky was involved in that the man who was involved in developing windows 8 as well i believe um but so that certain was one that he won with um and um more than six years after its release windows 7 is still running on hundreds of millions of pcs it is still the preferred system Mm -hmm. and then after that came windows (laughs) 8 (laughs) which was that off version again and um there was interface
2: problems. People had a hard oh. time adopting to such a radical change. If they had thought of it as a tablet, it probably wouldn't have been such a big deal. Because we all have to, um, we all have to uh, have. Uh, you know, we, we would make those kinds of changes in a, if we were thinking of going to a completely different uh, environment. But when you're talking about the. Um, uh, a computer you didn't want it to be that different no, not only there. that it had some significant changes uh, in the back end and how it worked isn't that right ed
7: oh yeah yeah and i would agree with you uh, on the first part i think microsoft really thought that the hardware manufacturers would be releasing uh, many more uh tablet devices uh you know uh, they, yes. they did release a large number of um of, of touch screen devices on laptops and stuff, but the, you know that's really inconvenient on a laptop, uh, not as convenient with a tablet. It's only now that the tablets are really coming to fruition um, You know, with, with Microsoft Surface device that a Windows 8 operating system with that type of interface you know, would take off.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Eddie, do you think that the, the birth of the hybrids, which are these, you know, they're, kind of, they're not quite tablets, they're not quite laptops, mm-hmm. um, that that's what made uh, Windows 10 work. Did you think Oh, absolutely! It? Yeah. Now, Shane, yeah. Yeah. I know that you've been a big believer in Windows Ten, and Love then with it. your shop, you're constantly trying to talk people into both using it and not <laughs> not stepping back from it.
3: And I'm not having any. It seems like I'm not having any problems. I'm, I'm telling people, you know, if you're if you're familiar with Seven, then you should be just fine with Ten. And we're just kind of forgetting Windows Eight. <laughs> you know <laughs> yes. we're just, we're just <laughs> skipping right over it <laughs> now, what, what was that I, I, <laughs>
0: now gary you're using windows 10 right that's right on a surface right now and shane you've got a machine windows with, with windows 10 on it. eddie you i know when you are in the studio here you have windows 10 on your machines right yep yeah, i sure do and do you use that pretty much as your regular operating system now On my home PC, the corporate environment, they're not so quick
7: to adopt. So we're still running Windows 7 in the the corporate environment. Um, Windows 10 on uh, the home equipment, the ones that could run it, you know, and my wife, she still I kept her on Windows 7. I didn't want to, you know, change too much on her um, right now. Um, you know, change isn't good in in, in some instances. Sure, sure. And <laughs> but what I did do was upgrade her to a um, a solid state hard drive, which significantly
0: increased the performance of of that slowing Windows 7 operating system. Mm-hmm. Well, we're in a, we're now. It looks like. There aren't going to be new versions of Windows, yeah. from what they're saying. They're going to continue now a process where behind the scenes, under the hood, they're going to be making these changes. And so updates will become much more significant this process. It's just going to be Windows. It's just going to be plain old Windows. And it'll just push
2: the updates, and you'll have to reboot once in a while, unless you have it set up to automatically reboot after
3: the... I would imagine certain advancements, they'll, they'll make an announcement and say, hey, this next you would think if
2: they're going to mm-hmm. change yeah, the so interface yeah, yeah. If,
3: the, if they're not changing the interface much
0: but they made the step back with to, to windows seven's interface because it was such a winner yeah. a winner pardon me yeah. um and uh what they the, the well, little I, bit I of eight that they combined with it doesn't seem to get in the way of that seven experience of the start menu mm-hmm. and the listing of your programs on the side
2: yeah and you have both right or i do you can do yep. either one
0: yeah yep. I, g- I play with both So 30 years of windows, and it's given us a lot to work with, and we'll continue to have the opportunity to work with our listeners on that as well. Eddie, you have a a good evening there. (laughs) Snuggle down next to the fire in uh, in your home. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. That's Mr. Ed Rudell, who uh, tried to make it in, <laughs> made a valued <valiant> effort, <laughs> went back home, put another log on the fire. Shane, thanks yes. so much for coming in. You're welcome. All right, Gary. My pleasure. We'll Always. continue marching on, helping people with their problems with uh, Windows and any other operating system you may happen to be using. But well, here we are celebrating 30 years of Windows operating systems. Thanks so much again to Eric Dortch, who's been the man behind the glass there, helping to make our program work. The rest of you out there, have a wonderful Thanksgiving. We're thankful for you and for the opportunity to be with you every week here at InternetAdvisor.net. And thanks to the folks on our flagship station, WJR. You've been listening to the Internet Advisor Show. Detroit's longest-running, locally-produced computer show with Foster Brown, Gary Baker, and our team of experts. For more information about our weekly show, to ask a question of our experts, or find the show notes for this podcast, visit internetadvisor.net. And look for us on Facebook and Twitter. Don't forget to check the other great podcasts available on this podcastdetroit.com network. Thank you for listening.